What up, what up, y'all? Welcome to The Cast of Color, a show where a diverse group of creatives talk all things film, TV, and entertainment. My name is John Carter. I am joined by my guy, Gerardo Molina. What's happening, man? Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, yeah, Gerardo. So, Joe is not here in this recording session. I know we're used to hearing the boy. Uh, he's busy with some family things, so me and Gerardo are going to kick off this episode. Uh, we're going to have a brief little little catch up. We're not going to go over the diversity report section because we had a lovely interview with Anita Dashiell Sparks from the it's USC School of Dramatic Arts. It's a big one, man. It's a big mm-hmm. one. She was, bro, she was so damn intelligent. She is very well-spoken, very knowledgeable um, in the issues that we talk about, like diversity. She's the Associate Dean of um, what, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at USC School of Dramatic Arts. So she just weighs in and gets some good insight, man. <laughs> she completely throws me off with some of the damn words she uses. She's so well-spoken. I'm just I'm just in there for the ride. So, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm As saying? As we all are. <laughs> As we Pretty. all are. Yeah, man. She, again, very intelligent. And just I'm so glad she was able to, to grace us with her presence on the show. So we're going to get into that later on. Uh, but what's up with you, man? Just just catching up. I, I, I know you... Uh, you, you got a new gig? You got a new new job? Yeah, what? yeah I'm working at that uh, Stranger Things event in, in L.A. <laughs> Bro, that is so dope. And I, Yeah. So what does that entail? It's a drive-through event? Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Like, because of the pandemic, we can't have haunted houses or anything like that. So right. uh, they're trying to do everything inside of vehicles. And at first, when I heard about it, I was like, man, how, how is this even going to work? But um, it's Straight pretty up. cool. So what they did is they rented out a parking structure in uh, L.A. Okay. And uh, there are plenty of those. <laughs> I think it's like a 12 floor one or, or a 10 floor one. So they rented out like the, the whole top half. And then there's three floors. Uh, each floor is a uh, is a season of Stranger Things. No shit. So like uh, on floor two whatever i don't know i didn't watch the show <laughs> i know that one floor has russians i know that one floor has demo a demogorgon and some zombies okay and like the the ending floor i heard is a really cool experience with some screens all around and and it's really cool basically a, a car guides people through little stops it's four stops first they get there they okay. order some food they get some food in their car nope. and, um it's like a supposed to be like the high school reunion uh, so then they go out to after they get their food they go out into the parking structure and they just go up each level and it's it's a really cool experience it's a, it's like a little haunted house type thing but so did really, this kick uh, off around halloween time is that when this started i think it started around halloween time it actually got so popular it got extended till april i think it was only going to be there till march right bro then i was just gonna kind of go off of that i feel i might have texted this to you i was talking with Joe about this, I was like, I think Netflix, I'm not going to say theme park, but I'm saying some kind of physical attraction like this can lead to something else. Yeah, you know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, yeah. And I think it's, Netflix yeah. has enough property to do so, get creative with it. Okay. We started this Stranger Things uh, drive through event. It's a hit. You know what I'm yeah. saying? What else could we do? I, I see Netflix doing that, bro. I think they have enough property. I think they have enough titles um, that are popular enough and people enjoy enough to create something. I think this is a... Yeah, for sure. If it's not a full theme park, at least like a little land in Universal Studios or, or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, 
a theme park would get kind of, I just yeah. don't see a theme park, but I'm just like, I think there could be something from this. I see yeah, something they could, coming yeah. from this. And I mean, um, Universal already had like that Strangers Thing maze. They they had uh, oh, last yeah, Halloween yeah, yeah. for, for uh, Halloween Horror Nights. They already kind of collaborate. So and Universal has been lacking new new property uh, attractions. Straight up. Universal Studios. Yeah. The, the last thing they opened up was uh, Harry Potter Land, right? Yeah, it was Harry Potter Land. Harry yeah. Potter Land, and then mm -hmm. um, before that, it was the Transformers. Uh, so really, the really most modern thing we have is Transformers right now. Straight up, straight up, bro. And when I worked at Warner Brothers Studio, the thing that would always drop, like the new things, would just be the new movies, new titles, and they would incorporate that into the tours. And when a new Wonder Woman or Aquaman movie came out, they would drop the costumes into the um, into the tours as well. So it was kind of every time a new movie was coming out, Shazam or something, they would add new things. So it would kind of keep people coming in. But yeah, Universal is just... Universal could, yeah, I mean, they, they could open up like a little a little thing with the Queen's Gambit, like maybe a little show. I, I remember, I don't know if you remember, Universal Studios used to have shows. <laughs> like they don't have shows anymore. Oh, like, t like TV shows? No, like um. Oh, like live shows, like, like, like experiences, shows. like like yeah. backdraft, like you would right. go. Remember, you would walk through the fire part, and then they yeah. had the special effects experience where you would right. be doing special effects for monsters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, they ha they haven't had that in a while, and I think they have some good properties. Like Queen's Gambit is really popular. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I I I've read a lot about it, and yeah, I hear that's a very popular. It's very just, story driven from yeah. what i can tell and okay. that would be such a good opportunity for universal to open up another story driven type thing like that just little shows and experiences for people that i feel like they're lacking right now compared to disney yeah because um i remember when i was little uh the first spider-man movie came out and universal actually had like a fucking live spider-man show that's so fucking dope yeah, it was just pretty cool. It was pretty cool. It was like a musical. <laughs> it was like Mary Jane singing "I Need a Hero" and it's raining, and it's like based off of Spider-Man One. Yeah, and yeah, that's so dope. They have a stuck man come in upside down, kind of just give Mary Jane just, a kiss. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh man, that was so cool. And and you know, and that was that was magical for me when I was a little kid. You know, I saw oh, the percent and I wanted to go just for Spider-Man. Bro, straight up. So straight up. I feel like that's when Netflix is like. Uh, I mean, um. Universal's lacking right now, and I think Netflix might help them out with that. That's what I see with this. Dope. I didn't even think about that. Now that makes so much more sense, Gerardo. I think, yeah, because once you told me that, I was like, I, I feel, especially because this drive-through event for Stranger Things has been a hit. I feel like they're gonna just milk it, and I think it'll only be in Universal's uh, benefit. So that's that's dope. Um, but moving on, we got a big ass slate for Disney movies in 2021. Yeah, we gotta have a whole episode for this. Man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have an episode on, <laughs> we're gonna have a 2021 episode. Cause there's like, I looked it up uh, after they announced everything. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know out there, uh, Disney on the uh, investors day, it's the day where investors look at all, it's like the day that brings good people choose to invest in Disney or not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Disney's gotta show off the goods, you know? They're gonna Disney flex. Basically, yeah, it, Disney basically dropped uh what is it like at least nine new star wars properties coming out nine new marvel properties coming out and then um what what else was it there's one more right no it's just those two right? marvel on oh, the tv shows and the tv and the and the yes and the Disney so star TV wars tv shows star, uh, star wars movies marvel tv shows and marvel movies those are Got the four it. categories I split it up for myself in. <laughs> it just helps me organize and categorize all this shit. Yes. <laughs> and 
uh, it's just like uh, for the people that don't know, next year is just going to be way too stacked with, with Disney because if uh, if if we're looking at movies that aren't even Disney that are still Marvel, like Morbius, yeah, for example, we have way too many movies coming out next year. We got right. I think in in January we got WandaVision. In March, uh, or in May, we have uh, two things. Oh no! And actually, in March we have Morbius, and uh, one of the other TV shows. In May we got Loki and Black Widow. In the summer, I think we get Eternals or something. So it's, it's like it's a just, show and a movie drop at the in the same months. Is, is what they're almost doing. yeah okay almost um, it's like almost every month, with the exception of a couple months, which is like maybe like a one month gap. Uh, there there is something marvel coming out and that's not even including star wars or really i don't know man it's a pretty bold move just it's 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 almost too much man (laughs) like i don't want to yeah well in what way you you think it's just because i know warner brothers you know when once they announced the hbo max and all that um a lot of their movies dropping to hbo max Mm -hmm. I, I I doubt this is a response from Disney, but I do uh, feel like I feel like Disney. A lot of it is responses. They just have enough money to get away with it. Got you. Like Got you. Spider Verse, the Spider Verse movie is going to come out. That's definitely a response to Flashpoint. The Spider Verse. Now, listeners, if you're not familiar, there is a live act. This is Spider Man Three that we're talking about, right? The mm-hmm. third Spider Man movie. No, no, nothing's really really confirmed yet. Right. We're just seeing these. Yeah. Yeah, bro. So we're seeing these villains be casted like Alfred Molino is returning as Doc Mm -hmm. Ogg. Jamie Foxx returning as Electro. Again, like Gerardo said, nothing is official. But when you hear this, you can only assume that's where they're going. That's the direction they're going. Well, well, me and my roommate were talking about this and and we thought that it'd be pretty cool if um, the way J. Jonah Jameson is still J.K. J.K. Simmons. Straight up. Uh that kind of makes sense for a multiverse thing where their alternate universe counterparts look similar to them or whatever. Right. So I hope that Alfred Molina, cause he's dead. He had a character arc in Spider-Man too. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. That, yeah. yeah. Same with Willem Dafoe. I heard he's back. Um, and then there's a, that'd be so dope, but it's yeah, they, they had, they had I, their I don't, character. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't want to see any of these people with Tom Holland. It'll be strange. <laughs> well, Tom Holland is just not, Okay, let me ask you this. Is Tom Holland the same character he was at the beginning of Civil War? I would say yes. <laughs> you would say yes? He hasn't changed at all. Think about him at the beginning and at the end of his movies. Mm-hmm. And it's the same character. It's almost like a TV show where it takes maybe the next movie he'll finally grow, but. Right. Where, where, where's the growth? There's yeah. no growth. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like, were they looking for that growth in Far From Home? When Tony, you know, far from home, Tony's gone. There's no yeah, more. But Iron then he Man. still uses all of Tony's stuff. Right. <laughs> right. And that's not that's kind of not the Spider-Man we were used to growing up, bro. It, no. It's like we no. were used to a resourceful no. Spider-Man who got shit done and found a way. That's what and, and Toby's felt very uh character and story driven. Mm-hmm. I'm not well, well, crazy about yeah. this 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 Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, if you if you remember, I told you we, we were hanging out the other day and I told you um we were that... we were hanging a little bit, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> <Not hanging>. uh, <laughs> but I was telling you that um 
basically what they're doing to Tom Holland Spider Man is making him Miles Morales. Mm, right. Where in in where um do elaborate. Morales is resourceful in different ways. You know, he's resourceful because he goes to a STEM school and he uses his resources there and does all that stuff. And he's a different character, which is great. He's not supposed to be similar to freaking Peter. Two but doing, distinctly uh, different characters. Yeah. yeah. And what they're, what they're doing with MCU Peter, if you've noticed, is kind of making him Miles Morales. He goes to the STEM school. He mm-hmm. has Miles Morales' best friend. He literally, Ned is literally, he has a different name in the comic books, but he is Miles uh, Morales' best friend that's filipino and he looks exactly like that oh what the fuck yeah don't you remember spider into the spider verse his roommate yeah it was that asian guy that is yeah yeah that that's yeah ned is actually ned doesn't have anything to do with peter <laughs> bro i are supposed I, to be friends with harry we don't even have a freaking you, harry thank you that is such a char- that is so pivotal i think in yeah. peter well, parker's yeah. development and tell, harry tell me why yeah tell me why the first spider-man movie is the only one where harry osborne is actually his freaking lifelong friend right isn't that the whole point yeah bro exactly yeah green goblin has so much less stakes when when peter isn't friends with with harry oh 100 it's like the threat level i mean that's what felt so um i I guess yeah spider-man one it's like this is my best Mm -hmm. friend's father who is my arch nemesis and it, it really because in that in that trilogy, Harry h- held on to that shit the entire time. He was yeah, like, and, you know, really, you killed I think my the dad. The trilogy is about Harry. The tri- the trilogy is really about Harry. The whole yeah. the whole trilogy is based off of "Don't tell Harry." <laughs> Don't tell that's Harry. What, that's Three what we were talking words. about. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me and John. We were, yeah. we were saying we we're saying they say "Don't tell Harry" at the beginning, and if if he would have just told Harry, the story would have been. Peter would have been fine. There <laughs> yeah. would have been there wouldn't have been that drama between him and MJ and, and him all that and MJ, whole thing. Bro, because Harry became Harry, a spiteful yeah. bastard in that trilogy and finally came around and Spider-Man 3. But uh yeah, you man. See, that... he, he he has more growth than freaking Tom Holland. Oh, 100 percent Harry Osborne has more growth in three <laughs> movies than Tom Holland has in six or five or however right. he's been in. <laughs> Bro, the presence of Spider-Man in the MCU is nothing you would think. Because when we got the news from Civil War that Spider-Man was going to make his appearance, we were hyped. Mm-hmm. You finally get to see Spider-Man along all these superheroes. And then what we got years down the line, in my opinion, is a very uh, safe, a very kid-friendly generic spider-man bro. generic like, yeah this is generic. the superhero this is the guy you know what i'm yeah. saying like growing no, he's up freaking spider-man yeah he is spider-man it was spider-man movies growing up and it was like batman like those two were, oh i can always guarantee you know just a a good story from those two characters and just i think they're kind of playing him in this yeah yeah but you know it is what it is <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a whole episode on on that though i'm down oh yeah we have to i think that deserves its its own time Mm -hmm. uh yeah well listeners that's that's our little talk on this this live action spider-verse again nothing is official we'll see if we get any toby or andrew garfield news and i think that'll help solidify things with this upcoming again i think i think this is marvel's way of I think this is the, one of the best things they could do post Endgame because honestly, it's like what Eternals is not going to be a big draw in my opinion. 
what else is really going to keep I think fans. they should make less movies, honestly. Bro, that's what I thought was going to happen. Because I'm like, dude, I don't care about the Eternals. I don't care about <laughs> Black Widow at this point. Like, Bro, <laughs> why the hell do I want to watch a Black Widow movie? She died, at this point, she died in Endgame almost two years ago. Right. Like, the time is past for sure bro way past and they got taskmaster in it it's like that's We're cool talking, but yeah but no but even then Taskmaster's not even a freaking black widow villain that's another thing they're just butchering all these villains man yeah uh, taskmaster that's a that, that'd be an amazing deadpool villain that oh amazing yeah spider-man villain yeah but black widow <laughs> straight up like okay yeah it's and the, like you said the time that has passed since then it, it's just I think I think Marvel, I think the MCU is is really like you said. I I, I think the time has passed and they're dropping a lot, but um, I'm not gonna rant too much. We'll have an entire episode on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we will. That deserves its own episode. Uh, you got any anything else on that, Rardo? No. Without further ado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, listeners, uh, we're gonna go ahead and get into this interview session with the lovely Anita Dashiell Sparks. Again, part of the USC School of Dramatic Arts. I mean, really weighs in on some excellent points on diversity, everything we stand for. So without any further ado, please enjoy Anita Dashiell Sparks. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to the cast of Color. This is a very special recording session. We have a very, very special guest. Uh, my name is John Carter and with me, is an associate professor of theater practice and acting at the USC School of Dramatic Arts, associate dean of equity, diversity and inclusion, co-head of undergraduate acting. I mean, a graduate at NYU Tisch School of Arts, a Maryland distinguished scholar with undergraduate work at University of Maryland at College Park. I can go on and on and believe me, we're going to get into this a lot. Um, I have Anita Dashiell Sparks here with me. Thank you so much for joining us, Anita. Oh, thank you so much for yes. inviting me and having me. I'm thrilled to be a part of this wonderful um, podcast series and, and these important conversations you've been fostering. Excellent. Thank you. We, we've been planning this for a minute, listeners. You know, uh, I, I reached out to Anita really, really off a whim. You know, I, uh, you know, I'll be honest. I play football my entire life. So here in Southern California, we're about USC. When I was a child growing up, uh, you didn't see many people walking around without a Reggie Bush jersey or a Matt Leinart jersey. So I was a huge fan of USC. And, uh, you know, being a show about diversity, when I, I looked you up, Anita, and I saw, you know, the work that you've done, which we're going to get into it so much, and the things that you have done with diversity, I just wanted to see if you can give the listeners kind of a brief explanation as far as your role as, uh, you know, the associate dean of equity, diversity and inclusion, because I think you may be able to give um, a different definition than myself. So uh, well, what exactly does that role entail over at USC? Yes, well, um, we have. We I'll say collectively as a university and then I'll speak specifically to uh, the School of Dramatic Arts, where yes. um, I serve as the role of Associate Dean of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, as well as our Diversity Liaison Officer, which liaises between SDA and the um, Upper University Administration and the Provost Office Got about it. these initiatives, um, 
training and professional development in these mm -hmm. areas, workshop series, uh, facilitating ongoing dialogues and conversations about different uh, cultural competencies. Yes. We're all learning and growing and having the opportunity to practice uh, each and every day. And so it's been really exciting to be a part of it at the school level, as well as at the university level, because yes. it has fostered, I have found greater alignment, mm -hmm. greater integration, which in turn uh, can help create a stronger foundation for sustainability and longevity in this work. Yes. You know, yes. In, in being an EDI practitioner and uh, overseeing the strategic initiatives for the School of Dramatic Arts, mm -hmm. working along with my colleagues and faculty, staff, students, and alumni, all of the stakeholders of our community yes. to develop a five-year strategic plan and really looking at how, how can we thoughtfully and intentionally integrate yes. the core values of empathy, of cultural responsiveness, a sense of inclusivity yes. across all of our different categories of identity, right? So mm -hmm. whether not limited to race and ethnicity, I think a lot of people, when they think about diversity, in particular, that word, um, they, the first thing that immediately comes to mind is diver is race, race, right. culture, ethnicity. Sure. Which no, let's make no doubt about it. That is a salient, very strong um, part of our identities. Absolutely. Our, culture, our, our ethnic heritage and point of identity. And it's an external visible marker of, of race, yes. you know, that we yes. can't change really. Um, and is visible to folks from the outside eye looking in, but there are so many other areas, our religious backgrounds and beliefs, our, um, gender identity and expression, sure. orientation, uh, veteran status, actually, whether right. we, you know, uh, pregnant at the time, if we mm -hmm. were mothers expecting. And so it's interesting when you think about all of the different identities, protected categories of identity under the law, like Title IX and sure. mm -hmm. that runs the gamut. Right. Of, of who and what is included when we are talking about diversity. Right. And so how do we welcome all of those identities, all of those different aspects of who we are into the room, into the space, into the culture and mm -hmm. climate of environment that we're creating, whether it's creating it for our students uh, in the classroom or on our production stages with the work that we do in yes. that area of our curriculum. How do we uh, create that safe and brave and supportive and inclusive environment yes. of that welcoming invitation of support and and really meeting people yes. at the center of their need. Yes. And taking into account all of the different circumstances that affect and inform their sense of being, their sense of becoming, who they are in that space. 100%. And, and, and how they are actually able to thrive and not just get through something, not just survive being there over the course of their four years of, and their educational journey, um, but to really thrive and succeed and excel in it. Yes. How do yes. we set people up 
for success in that way. And, and I have found that re- support, mm-hmm. really being conscious about the metrics and the different dynamics of support that are put in place goes a long way to really fostering uh, an equitable environment. That's the difference between mm-hmm. creating an environment that's not only diverse and the piece I just talked about right. adds in the inclusivity part of it all, right? Right. So, and then the equitable part of it yes. is then how do we meet people really at the area and the center of their specific needs yes they can thrive and grow and excel within the community within the the culture and the environment oh i love it i love it there are a few points that you said that i kind of wanted to just toy around with and i love that you said the metrics and implementing a strategic plan because on our show here you know we've mentioned that sometimes there's a lot of forced diversity some companies may implement diversity training and it's really to to check a box so when you when you say something like metrics and a strategic plan over five years something that is more measurable i think that really can give the people a better idea of what it is of what initiatives you are taking and being diverse um so i i love it i love it you know we we have the diversity report that ucla um I'm your crosstown rival i'm sure <laughs> but uh ucla they publish every year the hollywood diversity report and it's a two-part report film and television and what we love about that it just gives us the numbers you know it just provides that context and we can interpret it for ourselves so um i'm sure you being a usc at the uh you know at, at the school that you are at just I, i'm sure people will believe that being at the school of dramatic arts you're kind of at the forefront of some of these initiatives and how, how have you seen 2020 this is the first time that many have been exposed to terms like systemic racism This is the first time people took the time to, I I feel a lot of people uh, to consciously listen to the voices of black people. So how have, how has the change been on your end at the USC school of dramatic arts? Just, I I feel like even within the past decade from 2010 to 2020, there's been such a change where 2010, we were so quiet. The world was very, uh, very calm. And 2020 seems just like a complete 180. So have you seen these changes on your end being not just a USC, but kind of being part of the theater community? And how have you seen the changes? Because 10 years ago, we weren't talking about no one was talking about no damn diversity. People didn't hear that word as often. People weren't having these conversations. There was no Black Lives Matter. So how have you been able to see this this change uh, from just uh, uh, your point of view? Yes, and it's, and it's interesting. That's an excellent question, John, because the fact of the matter is, <laughs> from my perspective and, and lived history and experience, speaking yes. from I, right? Speaking from, from my journey. Sure. Uh, I've always had dual careers as an artist and an educator. Yes. Which has been such an amazing blessing and a, and a very intentional one. Yes. Um, and Growing up in a family, actually, I come from a, a military family, and I know we've talked about that. Yes. Um, my father being retired, a colonel in the, in the army, and growing up uh, right outside of the Fort Meade military base. In yes, Maryland. we're going to get more into that. Oh, I, I have some military questions. <laughs> but, I, but I just wanted to, I, I just put that into the, the framing of what I'm about to say here, because yes. I grew up personally. Uh, with a sense of 
such a an amazing amount of pride mm-hmm. and uh, culture and and education and awareness of history because my my parents um, really instilled that in not yes. only me but my siblings as well and so we so I knew my culture I, I was Good. very unapologetically African American yes <laughs> unapologetically yes. Black. Not, not everyone has that. Not everyone has no, that no. that that conscious effort no. from the, right. Mm-hmm. Yes, very unapologetically female. All of yes. that, you know, and the intersectionality of what does that mean to be a black female, an African American woman? Sure. And and so and yet to also have a sense of that and understand and celebrate diversity and multiculturalism because I grew up and I had friends and teachers from all around the world. Yes. Having had that experience in, in my schooling and, and educational journey on the military base. And so I, I've always had a very global sense of the world, um, yes. as well as a very strong consciousness in my African-American identity and sense of self. And so then when I wanted to go into art and theater, which I love theater because I feel like it's, it's the, the, the place where transformation can occur yes. and, and radical imagination, you know, where, where anything is possible and everybody's stories can be held in that space. It was the thing that that drew me to it, like a moth, you know, attracted <laughs> to Absolutely. That was, that was the spark for me and continues to be a spark for me yes. today, you know, 25 years later um, in, a, in a career uh, in, yes. in performing and directing as well as teaching theater and art and uh, creative expression. And so, I've always been really conscious about the power of not only story, mm-hmm. but who's telling that story. Yes. Who yes. has the agency and the power and the ability actually to allow their voice and their history and their lived history and experience to be visible and seen? Yes. And who doesn't? So that's always been a question that I have deeply wondered about and, mm-hmm. and have, and have um, felt a sense of responsibility yes. as, as a teacher and as a, an, an artist in terms of what do I create? What am I creating in the world? What yes, am I yes. imparting to my students in the classroom um, about how we make and tell these stories and who gets to tell them? I have to, I have to live that. Absolutely. An example, because there's power in the word, there's power in the story, and there's power in image and representation. Yes. So I've always been drawn to, whether it's been conscious or subconscious, but I think informed by all these other things that I'm sharing, mm-hmm. of um, really wanting to honor the, the voices that have gone unheard of, untalked of, and unseen. Yes. And so when I think about the climate of this moment in 2020 of our theater industry, our beloved theater. Yes. It's a reckoning. You know, it's a reckoning Um, in light of the pandemic, in light Mm -hmm. of the the racial um, pandemic that that has been persistent, Mm -hmm. didn't just get started. Has, right. has been around for many, many, many years, but that, but that cracked open and became visible 
mm-hmm. on a whole other level and in a whole other way yes. this summer after the the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, mm-hmm. and other black and brown lives and young people who have been taken and, and gone too soon. Yeah. It, 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 it awakens something in, I think, a collective consciousness that people were shook. Yes. They, they were, there was something about, I think, visibly seeing in the case of um, George Floyd for those eight minutes and 46 seconds. Yes. Somebody lose their life. And to see it the and, way that it's so visible and it's it's so vivid. I, I think it, it's so vivid. It's so visceral. It's so yes. Yes. palpable and real in a way that I think it just, it shook the nation and it shook the world. Yes, 100%. Even though, even though it was not the first Black lives being lost in that manner exactly exactly and in a sense it's um i remember working at the old university i did and around march 16th when we went virtual before then everything just seemed like you're always on the go everyone's always in a rush you're doing some some shit with this pandemic hitting everything this online modality people are now looking at the tv they're looking at their phones on social media and they're seeing things that have been happening, but have finally been brought to the surface. It's so true. Yes, right. yes. And, In you know, sort of pause. Yes. right, right. And, you know, I love how you say you, you feel a responsibility, you know, to cr- about what you create. In our last episode, we were speaking about white savior movies, what they are and what they do for people. And uh, again, I'm a big football guy. So I was speaking about Blindside, uh, you know, Michael Orr and his story being told. And there's a scene I recognize where I can just, it felt like it wasn't a true voice of a black person. Again, this is from me. This is growing up a poor black kid who then joined the Marine Corps and is here now. You know, this, that's my story. So I, I felt that when watching The Blind Side and sure enough, it, it seemed like both the, the, the writers were white. So um, again, in our last episode, I just told my boy Alex Benjamin how we have a responsibility to bring our stories to light to tell those stories and be conscious about what we create. So I, I love that you say that. Oh no, I believe that wholeheartedly within yes. the core and fiber of my being. We can't wait. Right. We, we right. don't have time to wait for right. somebody else to do it. And somebody else shouldn't do it. Right. right. I mean, more power to them. But 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 our our stories are so rich. Mm-hmm. They're so vast. They're so complicated. Yes. Yes. And depth and variety that we, we are not a monolithic people. We do not have a monolithic experience to the point that you just said, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to have the courage to allow all of that to be seen. Yes, yes. And, and because I, I think that's gonna help continue to shift perception. Mm-hmm. I, I think that helps to strike a metaphorical blow and um, um, redirect bias, uh, can help temper racialized stereotyping yes. and stereotype threat. If we can consciously show that kind of, verse, of diversity and right. range of person, of experience, of relationship, of community building, and that interactivity 
then all of that thing goes a long way towards eradicating these different pieces that mm -hmm. were intentionally created right. within systems of, of structural racism and right. these systems of, of power and privilege uh, within the dominant culture and, and those who then are in the space or positional authority of being oppressed mm -hmm. and or marginalized. Yes. We can yes. disrupt it. But the right. more I think that we create and that we show that we create the counter narrative, that we show the other, it, it will help to, uh, that's an action item and step that can go towards eradicating these different dynamics of structural racism. Got it. Got it. I love it. I love it. You know, it was, um, gosh, around this time last year, I was in my first term of graduate school. I, I, I had some GI Bill benefits remaining. So, as you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to school and get my master's. So I'm getting my MBA now. And cool. yes, yes, I was fortunate to be part of a show. Um, I've done a lot of theater at the University of Laverne, and this was Facing Our Truth. Yes. And it was, it was you know, uh, it was Trayvon really telling Martin. a story after after Trayvon Martin. After Trayvon Martin, yes, yes, and I was in uh, one of the I was in the final uh, act of that show, and it was kind of this this comedic kind of uh, feel, and you, you know, it, it really a, a lot of that show was young black actors on stage getting shot and dying, and it can create a very visceral feeling, just as you said earlier, and to think that the stories we tell on stage are just so accurate and are inspired about inspired from what's happening um, in the world now. It, it just, it, it really hits home. I know, I know that, you know, you have plenty of, of experience in the theater. I'm sure you've done classic works, but for me to be able to step on stage and do work like that, that is really telling of the times that really, I feel I can personally relate to just as a young black man, you know, uh, it really is powerful. So in this, we're talking about theater. How has this online virtual environment affected what you do now? I mean, how, how does one practice theater? How does one teach theater? I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious about that because it's I'm sure it's challenging. We're all finding ways to be creative. But, I, you know, as you know, an associate professor of theater, how has that challenged you? during this pandemic? Oh, it has been wonderfully challenging. I think in, in an exciting and innovative way. Yes, yes. Because one of the things I love about teaching is it's process, mm -hmm. right? It's creative. How do you break down the creative process? What are right. those salient tools? What are those salient skills that the actor needs in order to do their job honestly with authenticity yes. that's that's grounded in a sense of um, dramaturgy and research that's connected to critical thinking and analysis of text and character and story and circumstance. And I am always one, because I teach both performance and critical studies. Oh, excellent, so okay. Of all of those things. Um, and, and the different modalities of how we can tell stories. As I trained as a, as a dancer, I trained as an actress. And so for me in the theater, I thought, um, and a singer, I thought in the theater, yes. that's a space where I actually can use all of that. Yes. Because I'm using my voice, I'm using my body, 
as well as my emotional um, and psychological life and acuity and 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 stretch and possibility of my imagination. Yes. To transform into these other people through the use of the self and through the use of this instrument yes. as an expressive and communicative tool. So how so that's exciting to me, how that's interdisciplinary, how it's it's other modalities of storytelling that are not only Western, right? right. That are non-Western, that, that gives you again this sort of global rich um experience, um, pantheon of experience of expression that I can use myself as an artist and impart to my students yes. in the teaching of it. So it moving that from the on ground live in person space into this space of these intimate boxes on a screen. Right. It really was about, again, going back to the root. Okay. What are the core values and skills? Okay. That the actor needs to utilize, whether they're on the ground, whether they're on screen or on camera, if, mm -hmm. or if they're doing a podcast or a voiceover situation, what are those core things that make it truthful, that make it believable, that, yes. that personalizes it, that awakens the imagination and that makes it authentic because it's connected to all the wonderful critical thinking and research. And so it was exciting just really focusing on those things. Right. And right. then translating that because so it was very skill oriented. Okay. And and then thinking about well, what can we do really utilizing the the the, the medium, utilizing right. the mobile modality to its to its optimum capacity as opposed to thinking about what we're losing. Absolutely. And what we can't do now that we're not on the ground. So right. I, was, I was like in that can do mode. I'm like, okay, we go. Okay. And I have to say, it was, it's been so enriching. The students have been amazing. Oh, wow. We have been discovering mm -hmm. what is possible together. Yes. And, yes. and really that, that curiosity, that constant, like looking that, that searching, that exploring, that, ability to try, take a risk, fail, go back, you know, try yes. again. And yes. you did another choice, another possibility. It that's those are the muscles that we have to utilize as actors, no matter what medium we're in. Right. So it was just a really great for me as the teacher, even though I had mapped those things out, I had retooled the the syllabus and did all sorts of like oh I'm sure you took your time to kind like of frame it. Yeah learning learning the tool learning the absolutely structure, learning the system. and then it was like now we're in the practice of it now right. we're at the beginning of the semester and the and the beginning of the journey and sharing that with the students and i just i very much um thought about it from the perspective of we are taking this collective journey together absolutely we are discovering it together and yes. and they received it beautifully and, and the thing that I think was really kind of surprising for me and for the students is that this modality is really quite intimate. Yes. I, I think, I think that at first people were kind of like, there's a distance here. Right. 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 We're, we're, that we're going to, that we're not going to really be able to engage. We're not going to really be able to connect. We're not going to really be able to listen and mm -hmm. and react because the person's not right there, not right. Like in front of me, or we're not occupying the same space. And so 
it's been exciting to figure out and discover that, well, actually, we can do all of those. Yes, things. yes. I, I found it that it's some people even feel more comfortable that they're able to speak their truth virtually. Yes. Maybe there's just not that that physical. Um, I wouldn't even say pressure. It's just I feel like people are very comfortable in this virtual environment yes. to the point where they'll, they'll be very vulnerable and honest through here. Yes. I yeah. have found that as well. And I think partly I think that has to do with the fact the matter is we're all each in our own environments. Yes. Now, you certainly realize from an equitable standpoint, and this was the other interesting piece about from the EDI and how being mindful about um, equity mindedness. Okay. And using the principles of equity mindedness. Equity mindedness. Okay. In, in our in our teaching, in our you know recruitment efforts, in our admission efforts, in our support and cultivating mm-hmm. uh, community and the and the climate of the community that I referenced earlier. We're using the frame of equity mindedness, which is a um, a, a pedagogical uh, researched and scholared practice in racial equity uh, and, in, and in this field that was actually created by uh, pr- Professor Estella Bensimone, who's from our uh, USC Rossier School of Education and the Center for Urban Education. Okay, okay. It comes or, together. Or Q is the an acronym. And so they merged over the course of the summer and the fall, the Q, Mm-hmm. with our USC uh, Race and Equity Center, which is helmed by Dr. Sean Harper. And I'm a faculty affiliate of the USC Race and Equity Center as well. So it was exciting. And they and they actually made these tools mm-hmm. of, of equity-mindedness, these, these benchmarks, metrics of assessment. So you can really look at and see yes. Yes. How, how are you moving the needle? Are you moving it effectively? Maybe you're moving it effectively in one area of your right. school organization or institution, but not over here. So you need to give more energy and attention here than there. And it's, so those tools actually are now accessible yes. to the public. Exactly. If, if you go, if you go on the, the USC racial uh, race and equity uh, website mm-hmm. and, and put in Q um, equity mindedness or the QCUE, you would be able to find uh, a whole wonderful compilation of tools that people can use and apply to their own organizations and institutions to really um, bring this work forward. But it's interesting because when you think about how does that translate in this virtual space, Mm -hmm. well, the possibility for individuals who already feel marginalized, to already feel silenced and not right. seen or not heard in a live environment, the the possibility for that to increase in this online uh, learning environment is is exponentially yes more. So so being mindful of how are you building community, your community centered, your intentionally race conscious. Mm-hmm. So you're bringing in all of those different um, dynamics. You're being more intrusive, not crossing the line personally, but intrusive in the sense that you're being relational, right? Yes. About yes. the human capital that right. uh, of, that you are that you are fostering and you're nurturing and you're interacting and relating to. So just more frequent check-ins. Yes. Just checking in to see how people are doing. 
Absolutely. Do you have um, access to the technology? What kind of technology do you have? Right. Or don't have, right? What's your Wi-Fi situation? So really being mindful about though the digital divide and those inequities and disparities that several individuals are encountering in this moment. Yes. I just, I had to be really even more mindful about all of that. Yes, yes. And, and really trying to check in on individuals on that uh, realm and to see what kind of accommodations could I make, again, yes. to help meet them in the center of their need. Right, so right. So that they could learn to the best of their ability based on the environment that they're in and, and the circumstances surrounding that environment that may be out of their control. Yes. You know, that they can still get the assignment in. They can still do the work right. on the performance. So I so it, it really it really challenged me and I know my other um, fellow colleagues and peers as educators to really be flexible. Yes. I mean and adaptable in a way that that perhaps for some that they they wouldn't normally do, but it it demanded. Yes, yes. That we do. It's the, it's I mean? it's that that empathy. I I I tell my wife that empathy. Yes. Yes, like I cannot imagine because ten years ago, Anita, my family and I, we were sleeping on the streets right before I joined the Marine Corps. Just my situation, and joining the military helped me realize, you know, how many poor black and brown kids really joined the military as their escape. So um, to your point, when I was in high school 10 years ago, when I graduated high school 10 years ago, if a workbook from my senior year for, I don't know, a Spanish class was 10 bucks and I was part of the required curriculum, I didn't have 10 bucks. But, you know, and if if this pandemic hit 10 years ago when I was on the streets, how the hell am I going to get my homework assignment turned in? I, I don't have a laptop. And just explaining those that's right. Basic, some of the basic needs. I mean, when I was sleeping on the streets, I was like, y'all don't, you know, which I've learned to grow out of. Um, again, I'm, I've learned empathy. So it's not like I'm just just saying, oh, it could always be worse because that's what I used to do. It could always be worse. And, you know, I realize how much that can minimize people's feelings. So just when you really think about some of the very specific needs that some students have that others may not it can be as simple as i don't have a damn laptop i, I can't turn this assignment in i don't have a, a camera on this old laptop of mine i can't do a zoom call you can't see my face so okay. are you going to be able to work around that so i love that you bring that because again that's one of those inequities that not everyone thinks about no and, and yet we have to think about it yes we, we, we it's our responsibility to think about it right, right? We, we we no longer have the privilege and the luxury to not think about it Right. And to not uh, allow those considerations to frame and inform the work that we're doing and, and how we are doing it moving forward. So, I mean, I the number of students I had who just, I mean, the the personal kind of family dynamic mm -hmm. was fraught. Mm -hmm. You know, they or they had younger siblings and they needed to babysit. Right. They're younger siblings. Yes. You know, because their parents are working, their parents are working from home. They they couldn't do that and multitask. So now that they're home, mm -hmm. that responsibility fell to them. You know, so I so it was those kind of like real 
Like that's right. just real world stuff. Right. You know what I mean? That we just that I that we just had to take in and receive. Yes. And and really help the students through. Right. And um and it, and 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 it just and it really did make all it just made all the difference. And I think about but what we're talking about here, John, I just want to underscore is the difference between being equitable and mm-hmm. equity-minded in these kind of considerations versus the dynamic of equality. Okay. I love because, that. Because people will think, oh, well, you know, really, what does it mean to be equitable? We're just, we're, it's just equal. Well, right. if, everybody, if we're just giving everybody the same thing and, and, and we're equal in how we're setting up the system and the structure, the infrastructure and the access, mm-hmm. then, it, then it all should just be, you know, all, it's all good in the hood. Well, Absolutely. In fact, it's not because that's operating out of the space and the misnomer that the playing field is equal. Right. Right. From the get go. And the playing field is anything but equal. Right. Because of these historic systemic structural dynamics of racism and discrimination and and these systems of power and oppression. Um, So the playing field is not equal. Right. So trying to operate out of that frame and lens is really faulty and problematic and is going to continue to serve some that already have certain kind of privileges and are afforded certain privileges and advantages and are still going to disadvantage others. Whereas if you turn your focus and thinking towards equity, Mm -hmm. right, towards equity mindedness in your practices and your systems and your programs, initiatives, polities, et cetera, then you really are taking into account the inequities. Yes. The disparity. And then how can you layer in these dynamics of support to eradicate that or yes. diminish that? Yes. You, you know, I, I, I love I love that you said that, Anita, because I, I hear I've heard the arguments and I'm, I'm sure you may have as well that because, you know, this is a very generic argument, but it, essentially it's more so the point of view that no white person alive today owns slaves. No black person alive today is a slave. So when people take it from that literal sense that, OK, it is not like it was back in the day. Therefore, we all have equal opportunity. We all there's nothing stopping a person of color from opening a small business. There's nothing stopping us from joining the military and getting our lives right. But we've fallen into an issue that for the longest time as a kid, I was told never look at color. Just look at the content of people's character. But there's a problem with that. There's a huge problem with that. And we realized that this year and Again, I, I just I, I'm trying to really caveat off of you because I, I think that there has been for the longest time this idea that we can't look into the structures, the infrastructures that were built and and analyze them for what they are. I mean, some of these structures are made at a time when black people weren't even first class citizens. We weren't even, weren't even considered citizens. So when you you say, you know, you have to follow the law, these systems have been in place for so long. We have to look at the building of these systems and and what influenced them and you realize how sometimes it wasn't a lot of times it wasn't objective it it was so completely in favor of certain groups of people you know what i mean and and 
yeah, the, the arguments I've heard to try to say, you know, well, look how far we've come. Oh, we, we've had President Obama. We've had a black president. We must have come far. It's like, yeah, sure. But uh, I don't know if this country has ever really, truly addressed the inequities that have been placed on people of color. And it feels like 2020 is just a huge explosion of all that shit. So it, it's, it's well, like. Well, ab- absolutely. And it's just being exacerbated mm-hmm. by the pandemic. Right. Right. Just when we think about how these inequities and disparities are showing up mm-hmm. with a real cost in terms of people losing their lives. Right. In the context of the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. So it's as well as our educational system. Yes. Yes. So an access and opportunity to materials and tools and technologies and training, you know, when that when we had to transfer from on the ground instruction into remote learning. And so mm-hmm. so we 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 I don't understand how people can even attempt to have that conversation mm-hmm. and not take into account all of these different dynamics that we're talking about. And yet several people uh, attempt to have the conversation and want to have the conversation yes. without factoring in these other things. Yes. And, but that is just, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not even a rational argument. Right. Because to your point, we, we have to look at the systems. I mean, a lot of the work that I know that's currently taking place now, I mean, has been, Mm-hmm. And building upon, like in the context of the work that we've been doing internally within the School of Dramatic Arts, yes, we've we've been doing this work in earnest, you know, ever since like 2016, 2017 is when I was um, uh, stepped into the role of Associate Dean of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, which is a Got it. position that never existed before. Right, right. It was created by um, our wonderful dean at the time, Dean uh, Bridell, and... Uh, and and who really valued this work and saw the saw it as being integral to yes. the mission, the core values of the school, and 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 where we were moving in terms of being arts educators and a theater training program in the twenty first century. Yes, and and so that we do have the opportunity you had mentioned earlier to really be at the forefront mm-hmm. and to really kind of lead this thing. You know what yes. I mean? Absolutely. The, with the work that we're doing and and how we can be innovative it the time is the time is now Do yes you know what I mean? right right to be bold and um and and courageous in examining dismantling these systems and structures mm-hmm. and reimagining them yes a new you know or if the if if it ain't broke don't fix it if it's something that really is healthy, well, and whole and equitable in the way that it was created and designed, well, we can just continue to build upon that. Right. Deepen and develop that infrastructure, but also to say, you know what, this way of doing, this process, this policy, this system, we need to shift it. And we have the power and the agency to do that. So that's yes. what we're doing. So it's been really exciting through our the the we have been building and doing that work. Um, and then and then and sharing how we as artists really can be agents of change 
yes. um, that we can use the art and the story to educate and provoke thought and dialogue and conversation around all of these different topic and topics and issues. My work as an actor, as my work as a director, uh, absolutely has done that over yes. the course of these many years. And I will continue to do that because I, I believe in that. Yes. Uh, and so we've been able to be a, a catalyst and a force uh, within the university um, as being a, a model for art and social justice and art and social change. And, and to be able to support other of our colleagues and schools and departments and integrating art in, in the efforts that they're doing and leading. I love, you know, I love that. We've yes. partnerships with like social work and the Price School of Public Policy and Annenberg Communication and Cinema. So it's been really exciting and rich. Um, and, and the work that we do in the community. Yes. Which I, which I so believe it's like we in and um, in terms of our outreach programs and different grants that we have to really um, be activists in that role right. um, of community building and urban renewal and um, and and renovation. Uh, yes, in that capacity as as well. We have this this wonderful uh, two year grant um, that we received through the California Arts Council, a creative art placemaking grant, and we created this sharp initiative sharp standing for sugar hill arts revival project okay and uh i mean a lot of people have no idea about the artists and the activists and the business leaders the civic leaders that grew up in that west adams sugar hill arts district area of which usc is on like i think the northeast sort of perimeter uh, sure. of, of that so it's the it's a collaborative partnership between the USC School of Dramatic Arts, Amazing Grace Conservatory, and the the Galen and Kathy Reavers Community Empowerment Center, which is connected with uh, the Lincoln uh, Memorial Congressional uh, United Church, that's also in that Sugar Hill Arts um, district, and we've joined forces through this uh, California Arts Council grant to wow. really honor the legacy. Yes. Of those individuals from the past, such as Hattie McDaniel, Ray Charles, yes. Little Richard, yes. Lauren Miller. I mean, these wonderful like activists in their yes. own right that that challenge the system. They challenge the status quo. Yes. They use the law, you know, to really fight towards equal rights and human rights in the area of like um, dismantling the segregation. Right. And the housing covenants and all that, that was right in that area. Um, and so, and other, and other examples, but so many people don't even know that that hub exists, existed wow. then with those voices and those bodies and how it is still a vibrant and rich um, community now. And mm -hmm. it is, is built upon that legacy. So I just get excited. I hope you can tell. Oh, um, yes, I, I can feel it. And I am mad at it. <laughs> that kind of work. Yes. Um, and 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 synergy with with collaborating partners and the and our community is a huge component of that. Yes, yes, that that direct community. I, I, I love it. I love it. So uh, I wanted to get into a little bit of the life of Anita, some of the the early life, if we will. And I just wanted to see, because you come from 
a military background, I'm sure uh, there are many similarities or many things that I may be able because your 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 father was a colonel in the army. Yeah. So that's high up there. Listeners, if you don't know, you know, I'm a military guy. Um, a colonel is a commissioned officer who is fairly high ranking. So uh, a rank like that, normally the colonels, they have their own section of base where they if you live in that area of base, that's the, the colonel section of base. You know what I mean? So um, you grew you spent your middle school and high school years on Fort Meade. Mm-hmm. That, that's cool. So my question, did being on a, like a military base in any way push you more towards the arts or is it just something that it has always been in you? Because I'm sure that's. That's a, that's a really great question. I think that, um, you know, I, I've such I have such fond memories of um, growing up in Maryland and my brothers and sisters all still in Maryland. I'm the only one here on the left coast. As right. OK. Uh, you know, and uh, so we, we, we get back there to travel and see family is so huge to me and my husband and our three beautiful children. Um, so we go to visit family a great deal in Maryland and my husband's from Chicago. Um, so you used to the cold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The hawk. You- the hawk. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 that, and that Maryland, uh, Maryland winter is no joke, too. But it's, uh, um, and so but I have such fond memories growing up, you know, and being in my dad's office. Yes. You know, and I was like his little, you know, just his little his little wing person. Yeah, yeah I, I always was with him. Do you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and so and so sort of seeing him you know, at work, just kind of doing what he, doing what he did um, in the area of like logistics and just. Yes. That's so funny. I did logistics as well in the oh, Marine yeah. Corps. And, yes. and my mother was, a, uh, as a, was an educator in math and science and just, so I, I grew up around teachers. Do you yes. know what I mean? And so yes. that was actually one of the reasons why I was so inspired to want to teach was actually the the sort of examples from my mother and my father. Excellence, yes, yes. Because I, I saw my father kind of mentor other officers, you know what I mean? Kind of- Absolutely. Moving up in the ranks and sort of teaching and, and, and leading with such a sense of like strength. Yes. Um, alongside a sense of like grace and generosity and fairness. Yes. And I just think that's such a really kind of unique sort of combination, you know? Yes. Yes. For a military leader, especially that that fairness that you say, especially with the high ranking officer like that, that can really influence those younger officers that that dad is mentoring. I mean, that's one huge thing about the military is mentorship. When I was in the Marine Corps, once you earn a rank, you are a mentor to everyone below you. Every rank, every single rank underneath you, you are a mentor to them. There's a yeah. big sense of pride in the military community uh, on mentorship. So, and it's um, so interesting because he, and he graduated from high school at 15 oh, my from God. Hampton. Shout out to one of our HBCs. <laughs> okay. Right? And at 15, I mean, you just wow, genius. But it was yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And 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 grad from the RTC. I'm just saying he the military pro. That's where he was introduced to it was during his educational journey at Hampton. Right. And then and then when he graduated, he had to wait like a year and a half before he actually could serve just because he was not 17. Right. Just because he was too young. Oh, my God. So so this, this was really just kind of kind of a, just an interesting thing. But I um, 
but that kind of that global influence that I referenced earlier, just being around so many different types of people, yes, um, and and language and voices and just it was so polyphonic, yes, and just rich in that way and just culture and heritage in a lot of different contexts. That through the friendships I made, through the other um, you know families and communities that I grew up with. Um, going to school on the base and living right off side of the base for middle and high school. So when I, it wasn't until I was in middle school, actually, that I was introduced to the choir. Okay. So yes. In my yes. time at the middle school on the break, on the base that I actually discovered, oh, you know, in elementary school, I had uh, tried violin. I played the clarinet for a little while. And it- Anita and then, is multi-talented listener. Well, you know, I- <laughs> I don't, I don't, did not retain those skills of the violin. Okay. But it wasn't until when I was in middle school in mm -hmm. that beginning of that seventh grade year on the base, had the opportunity to be introduced to choir. And for yes. me, that was a huge aha moment because what I really sort of discovered was that your voice is your instrument. Yes. Yes. That That's your instrument. You, you've you've mentioned how your voice, your body, and nonverbal movement is your instrument. I, I wish I could sing. I can never sing a day in my damn life. I, I wish I can just hit a little note, you know what I mean, and, and serenade my wife, but I can't. I'll I hop on a beat. I can rap a little bit, but uh, <laughs> sing, singing ain't my forte. Rap, but. Rap, rap, rap music is just it is poetry set set to set to music set you to know music. what i mean thank and you I, thank you i like to think and, and track and so <laughs> i just think that so it was exciting because then and, and we we competed mm -hmm. we had to like travel um as the choir so it just sort of also helped expand my sense of like the world yes in, in, yes. That, in that process and it was a community and then when i went to the uh high school is when i started dancing Mm -hmm. And then, and was introduced to the theater, excellent, uh, and uh, and through musicals actually, and then doing the plays, and then I was just like, I, it was, it was a done deal. The, the rest is history. Okay, history, I, it became very clear to me. Yes, that you know, I've always been. I like that that love of of the arts was like, okay, this is this is a part of your gift and your yes. call in the world. And yes. I, I I actually do. I'm a woman of faith as well. I. Yes. Very much feel that um, this work and and those gifts um, is a form of ministry. Yes, if I'm perfectly honest. That that yes. that's really how I kind of see it and uh, try to utilize it and and apply it for greater good and purpose um, towards that possibility of transformation and and healing that you mentioned earlier. You mm -hmm. know, consciousness and healing. Right. Yes. Absolutely. There's, there's um, that there's, there's art can do that. Right. And they're in, in a, in a lot of different, in a lot of different contexts. And, right. um, and I think that, that for me, then I, that duality between, and I love to learn, like I love once when I think another reason why I'm like, I'm a teacher is I generally love to learn. Like, I so, yes. Yes, I, a lifelong I, learner. A lifelong learner. And yes. so I think that, and so for me, the the arts and like academics and like learn, I mean, they were always like synonymous. So I do think there's also a kind of um, 
misnomer or misconception that people have that mm-hmm. that artists are like and actors are like you know what I mean that they're they're not academic sure and I'm Absolutely. here to tell you that 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 we are you know yes. what I mean yes a lot of theory a lot of studying that it's goes into lot, the craft it's a lot of theory it's a lot of study yes it's a lot of um critical thinking and problems as well as experiential learning in the practice of what it means to be an artist. And, and I very much believe that, that that kind of discipline and rigor that is a part of what it means to be an artist and a theater maker and an actor yes. um, on stage or screen or new media, right? In all of these new forms of storytelling so many. and platforms that have emerged over the years. But I think it's also true that kind of discipline and, and really thinking about it as a practice, as mm-hmm. a verb and an action really connects and applies to the EDI work. Yes, yes. That it, 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 you have to, it is a continual practice. Absolutely. Every day. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, when leaving the Marine Corps, Anita, in 2014, I rarely told anyone in my chain of command that I wanted to pursue acting because there was this fear, this judgment that may come that, okay, sure, you want to go to college, but, you know, is theater or the creative arts something you want to pursue? Because that does, that just isn't something that's, uh, especially coming from the military, coming from the Marine Corps, that didn't, that wouldn't sound as something viable for many veterans. Mm-hmm. So it, it really took that summer. As soon as I got out of the Marine Corps, I just, I, I went all in. I got headshots. I didn't know the process of acting. So I, lit- I went on Google, you know, you go on Yelp, you find your first acting class. And then you ask your fellow actor, what other classes nearby should I take? What improv classes should I take? And you really, it starts from there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there, there was this fear leaving the military of judgment for saying I want to act, but it's just being a lover of film, I've realized how important storytelling is. That's and right. How powerful it is and how often. How powerful it is. Yes. Yeah, I mean, most people, if we ain't watching sports, we're probably going to be watching a movie or watching television. And those well, messages being told are, are powerful. And it's often it's every single day that we're watching something. We're consuming some kind of we media. Are consuming. That's that's precisely right. And, you know, um, it is interesting when we think about we're talking about this dynamic of like discipline and rigor and really what is involved. Right. Yes in the process of the training and the technique and the craft and to do it and to do it well, right? Yes. And to do it at a qualitative level and standard. I, I mean, again, what, what, what I also saw modeled in both my dad from his experience in the military um, and being a, a, a commanding officer, as well as my mother as being an educator herself in math and science was discipline. Yes. I yes. mean, they, they modeled and practiced that in their, in their, in their work, in their, um, in their careers, in their professional mm-hmm. lives, and and they did it with joy. Yes. So I so I really I mean I I, I just I dare I dare folks listening and encourage you do what it is that you love to do or yes. do what it is that you have been given to do right yes um, even if that's on your way to the journey of doing the other thing that you really want and desire to do. Yes, but yes. But to be able to, to do whatever that thing is with a sense of joy, that's a gift unspeakable. 100%. It, it's so, how, how you mentioned, you know, even if 
what you're doing now is leading to something else. And me being long-term acting and, you know, the creative arts is what I want to do. But right now I work in education. I'm a veterans coordinator. So I have a great passion in helping other veterans transition from that active duty military to the world of academia. And to be able to do that, to be part of a university where, you know, creativity is encouraged and uh, it's, it really, it was kind of a seamless uh, transition, I would say from, you know, I used to work at Viacom. I worked in ad sales Mm -hmm. and going from that transition into education, I got to see how it allows you to really be creative and just, I love being on a college campus. You know, that, that's what oh, I love oh, to I be. Do. Oh, I do too. Yes. Yes. I yes. yes. You know, I mean, one of the things when I had um, completed my undergraduate studies and I knew I was like, I want to continue this and, and went straight from undergrad to grad school, which, which led me to NYU. Um, yes. Extraordinary journey and learning there. And, um, and, it, and I wanted to be able to do that so that I could actually have that degree in that training, not only to enrich it and broaden my versatility and range as an actress, right? Mm-hmm. And the work I love to do as a, as a director and exercising those muscles in a different kind of creative context and, and working with actors in that way, but also to teach. Yes. And to have that terminal degree to teach so I could teach at the collegiate level as well as you know working with young people um, in the in the the K through twelve space, which I've which I've done over the years. Um, oh, okay. So you, yeah, you've expanded the, 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 the okay. So when I when I after I graduated from NYU, um, a huge uh, part of how I learned how to teach was through being a teaching artist with some wow. wonderful organizations, arts, cultural. Um, yes. Uh, teaching organizations in New York. So I, I got a chance to practice. Right. To apply what I was learning and to, and to be able to, to right. go into, you know, elementary schools, you know, in the South Bronx, who were literally on what was called at the time, the chancellor's list. They were about to be shut down. The wow. whole of the school just shut down. Mm-hmm. And they said, but, but the last like interventive um, initiative was let's bring in artists yes let's see if we bring in artists and that artists can use and translate their processes of what they do as artists and as creative entities and makers and help these students learn their common core standards of math mm-hmm. of english of history yes and so it was as well as like art for art's sake you know what i mean and doing like a, a after school theater program and all that sure but, but it was so uh wonderfully informative and instructive and effective practice yes because it changed things it was a measure that helped to change things yes and we literally saw improvement in their test scores we literally saw improvement in their um understanding of, and comprehension of the core concepts and ideas and standards that they were being taught in the respective areas and then we saw them be able to demonstrate it on the standardized tests and so on and so forth. I mean, so it was a scaffolding and a process, mm-hmm. but it worked. Yeah. So that the, the school wasn't shut down. Right. But I'm saying, but that was the moment of crises that that particular environment and the students and the teachers within that environment were, were living in. Right. And there was such the belief among many 
that those that particular school in the South Bronx, which was heavily populated primarily by um, Latinx and African American students, mm-hmm. they were in the majority, right? Yes. That that they they could only che- achieve but so much. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like the like right. the bar was here as opposed to here. Right. And, and right. It was, oh no 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 no. These young people can do it. They can do it. You've not seen it because you've not given them the opportunity to really do it. Absolutely. You got to give them that push, give them the accessibility to resources. Yeah, that's right. And nor did you have the belief that they could. And and, and that those two things right there make a world of difference. Again, of like how somebody um, is able to really excel. Yes. Um, in 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 whatever environment that they're in. So I mean, I experienced it like boots on the ground, you know, in it in in that kind of context. But I'm just I'm so thankful mm-hmm. for those experiences because again, when I think about you know, the 25 plus years later mm-hmm. of how when I think when I think about the seeds of what I'm doing now uh, at the collegiate level, and I still work with young people. Um, in a, a, a series of different like community outreach and service work and uh, after school programs and all that kind of, I, I mean, I believe in that and do that still now um, in, in Los Angeles, but uh, while also being a professor at the, at the USC, but I think that, nice. but, but that interdisciplinary, but you know, mm-hmm. the, again, understanding how art is not just its own little thing that has to just sort of live in it in this one box oh for sure yeah no no it can actually inform and connect and enhance and enhance yes. all of the other things it's 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 all enriched it's all informed it's all deepened yes by that and so that was a seed that was planted in me and that work that i was doing as a teaching artist mm-hmm. that I now has completely shaped and informed my sort of um educational uh, pedagogical philosophy and ethos now. Wow. Wow. So it's like teaching things can really help you understand those theories and those concepts. And in, in acting in theater, a lot of techniques, there are a lot of different techniques and teaching that can just help yourself understand that. So for, for a new actor, Anita, would you suggest that the theater is a place to be for a new actor? I mean, someone who a lot of people, they move to L.A., with the aspirations of acting for myself. I'm so Cal born and raised. I was stationed in Southern California. So uh, finding an acting class was as simple as going on Google, going on Yelp, and then eventually just word of mouth talking to people. But then I found that theater really gave me some of the basics of acting. Would you recommend to someone who's completely new to acting to step into a theater or what place do you think is is a place for just a new actor, someone who's new to the creative arts to find themselves? I would suggest uh, anchoring that work or centering that work in that beginning of the journey in the theater mm-hmm. because, or theater training uh, and, and, and actor training in that context because those foundational fundamental skills of um, some of which I mentioned earlier, but just being able to be present, yes, to personalize, to uh, stretch and strengthen the suggestibility of our imagination, mm-hmm. um, to understand how to read a play, how to break it down, you know, right. into its components of, of analysis, 
to help you be able to do your work of embodiment in a more informed uh, and thoughtful and intentional way. Mm -hmm. Learn through like improvisation and other theater games, how to be spontaneous, how to uh, follow your impulse and instinct and, and to learn how to um, listen, to actively listen. Actively listen, you know, I yes. Mean, so much of acting is responding and reacting in the moment, right? Yes. Uh, and, and how do you live as truthfully as you can under these imaginary circumstances? Yes, right? yes. As, as if they're real, as if they're happening, because for the time and space that you are in it, whether it's a play you're working on or a monologue or a scene and scene study or um, sides from a film, if you're going to record or be on set, a television set or film set, you have to believe it's that willing suspension of disbelief. Yes. That you are where you say you are. Yes. That you are in that situation that the, the playwright or the screenwriter, the television writer, producer has provided for you. That's your playground. Yes. That's your reality for the time and the space that you are working on that material and that you have been given the responsibility to tell. Yes. Yes. That and that's the so idea of living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. When I first heard that after the Marine Corps, it, it helped with improv and every reaction just being, okay, this is how I feel a genuine reaction would occur under these circumstances. So don't think about it too much. Don't, don't get it too involved in the character. Think about a genuine reaction. Listen mm -hmm. to your partner, your scene partner, and those reactions will be grounded, you know, and they, they will right. make sense. And, and it starts to come organically, right? Yes. But, but you have to just, you have to practice. You have to exercise those muscles and skills. Right, right. Just like anything else, you know what I mean? So I find that, and, and that training ground of those core skills foundational skills that will translate not only in the theater you it'll translate on film yes it'll, it'll translate you know in television work it'll translate in voiceover work you know what i mean in animation and all of that yes so so and and how you are again utilizing your instrument to communicate thought feeling and action yes so the, and I think that the theater does an amazing job at having you exercise and strengthen not only your acting and those different skills, but also the necessity of your voice and that training and technique, as well mm. as the physical, physical theater, physical movement. Got it. Got it. Excellent. Well, I, I do have a, just a few more questions for you, Anita. And, you know, you mentioned that you are a person of faith and uh, I know growing up, Again, this is my story. Growing up a poor black kid, I know that the church is, is an excellent system of support for the black community. Um, you know, growing up, whenever you're really, it, whenever there was just really trying times, my neighbors would pray for me. We, I would go to church with them. We would pray. Um, my parents, they, they never kept us in a steady church. So there was a time we were Jehovah's Witnesses. There was a time we went to a Baptist church and my parents never figured out. So I never got a clear explanation just from someone who was devout as to what church and what religion and what all of that means. So I was always grappling with, hmm. you know, confliction. You know what I mean? Just I'm growing up poor. Where Where is, how come when I pray, I'm still broke as hell on the streets. <laughs> but I'm uh, the point I'm getting at is 
now we're moving to a point where we speak more about mental health in the black and brown community. Yeah. And, and we Far have a conversation. We ever have. Absolutely. Absolutely. In, in a way that is because before growing up, we didn't hear nothing about therapy. We, I, we just weren't. Now, I mean, I'm on my third therapist. Right. And right. I think the military has something to do with that. But, um, you know, for those in the black and brown community who may not have been exposed to access to the, those military resources, when they hear therapy and mental health, do you feel like those conversations, do you feel like beyond the church, there are certain systems or coping mechanisms that members of, you know, the, the people of color, black and brown community are really utilizing these days? Do, do you see those conversations with mental health and, and I don't know, therapy happening more um, even in the church, you know, you being someone who is involved in the church, do, do you see those conversations happening more? And do you think more importantly that there is lo- longevity and long-term benefits in these alternatives? I know it's a little dicey, you know what I mean? So, uh, oh, oh, no, no, yes, yes. I, um, uh, yes. And I, and I was, uh, I will share a quote that I have found um, <laughs> that really speaks to what we are talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely have seen, um, I think, an evolution mm-hmm. um, within the African American community and uh, communities, and um, and and what does that? What does health and wellness look like where are the different spaces that people can go yes um to to get the support to get the the renewal um the restoration yes yes that that they need really um that they need Uh, and so for me the 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 church and and faith and relationship to God has been a well, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and one of those for me over the course of the, of the years, um, young as well as, as now throughout my, yes. throughout my life, um, that, that has been a, an anchor of support for me. And, um, and, uh, and, I, and I had a community church that I long standing, you know, mm-hmm. from when I was younger, that when I think about, and I, I realized actually kind of how rare that is actually, not when you said we shared your story. Yes. Because that even now to this day, that that my church, you know, St. Mark United Methodist Church, <laughs> Maryland, Hanover, Maryland, the community of those people and uh and support mechanism still exists today. Wow. You know what I mean? And has throughout over these years. And when I think about every like major rite of passage in my life it has happened there wow like literally mm-hmm. every single one yeah thus and that so that's so that's that that i so i really treasure and value that because i realize that's a rare kind of dynamic that kind of connection that, that kind of connection and that kind of long long standing sort of yes. history and relationship with one place and then and then also to have found that here you know, in, in Los Angeles, um, in West Angeles church, which is where we attend here as, as well as then being able to attend and support other, um, wonderful faith churches and faith-based places here in Los Angeles, which are, are ripe and full. But I think that 
So for me, that's always been a consistent anchor, but I think that, and for many Mm -hmm. uh, within the African-American community, but I do think that I would say in the span of the last like three to five years, and even, even, uh, even, even a more narrow frame, I feel like just in the last like eight to 12 months, yes, <laughs> the, 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 the languaging mm-hmm. of an acknowledgement and naming that the need for health and wellness and self-care in the form of like mental health um, is, is I'm hearing, I've heard that more now than I ever had in that right. context. Right. And I think that's important because I think it is, there's been, I think such a, um, uh, well, there's been a lot of research and scholarship on on sort of the um, the kind of culture of silence or the culture kind of of dissemblance around um, around like the taboo nature of it all. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like, uh, like black folks, we don't go to therapy. You know what I mean? We we deal with stuff in a whole other way. You know what exactly, I mean? Like, exactly, exactly. And I and I just think that 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 has been expanded. You know what yes. I mean? I feel like that. Has, opened up with more of these conversations and dialogues and education and awareness about we all need support. And I think that those support infrastructures can show up and manifest itself in a variety of different ways. Right, Um, right. Health and wealth and those resources and support uh, systems is one of them. Therapy, you know, is another one. A lot of like um, affinity groups Mm-hmm. I will say that in the context of like um, another thing that was so helpful to me, um, you know, being an academic and I love um, an artist scholar and I love um, uh, teaching at USC. I've taught there for, this is my 19th year teaching. Ooh, okay. Um, coming up on 20, Anita. Love it. Coming up on 20. So I'm so <laughs> thankful for that. And it's been just so rich and, yes. and rewarding on multiple levels. I can imagine. Work that I love to do, uh, but also acknowledging, and I can say that, and right, acknowledge that that's a predominantly white institution. Yes. <laughs> and so, and yeah. so, in light of this kind of cracking open, um, and and pandemic on multiple levels, uh, including the, the racial sort of unrest and social unrest, that just that just was the litany of it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Over the course of the summer, another thing that I found so helpful and necessary in my work, just just in my being, and in also my work as a, a EDI practitioner and leading a lot of these conversations, town halls, forums, workshops, yes. all of that kind of stuff, which I love doing. But you have you have to refuel, you have to renew, you have to restore. So have to. having and finding affinity spaces and groups and organizations that, for example were very much centered on BIPOC folks, mm-hmm. BIPOC artists, BIPOC educators, BIPOC activists, do you know what I mean? Yes. And, and really foregrounding that, like, like centering it. Like this is, this is, you, you, you are the primary focus. Come, you're invited and we're gonna give you tools and other resources right. and areas of support that are specifically designed for you. For you, your population, you. yeah. Mm-hmm. For you, and, and the and the different kind of uh, dynamics you may be facing, yes. the different kind of circumstances you may be dealing with, but not only personally but professionally, and to give you different to empower you with tools and resources, to again continue to hold you up. Yes, in those different places, um, I can't tell you, John, how important that was for me. Yes, 
this this summer and in, and continued in the fall. Like mm-hmm. I, it was it was it was crucial. Yes. So yes. I so I think these kind of affinity spaces that is a, is another way you know that um, people can find support and and resources and tools and within these different um, community organizations. I also. I also think, you know, we, we create villages in different ways. You know, I think that. Oh, yes. hundred percent. Thankful for our, you know, family units. But we also, my husband and I oftentimes talk about our extended family or our village. You oh, know, for sure. Villages. Yes. So thankful for our village that we've mm-hmm. cultivated. You know, it takes a village. Uh, here, here in L.A. because we were able to kind of, you know, call somebody up. You're able to, you know, we have yes. a, a, distance kind of meet in the park or whatever you know what i'm saying yes so you, so you can so that you're sounding boards for each other and i think it is one of this i think the moments of this uh lessons from this whole sheltering in place mm-hmm. um during the covid moment that we're in has been the need for real connection yes like authentic connection mm-hmm. and like and, and relationships and all of that kind of stuff you know what i mean to really sort of nurture that what are the things that that are most important i feel like it has also you know, for me in this time of this moment of kind of stillness and this sort of pause even though there's been a lot of motion yes <laughs> in the midst of sheltering, a lot of work happening in the midst of the sheltering in place but it's also been a lot of joy and time with family and kids and hanging out and doing the things that we love to do so true. as well as I'm so thankful that I've been able to continue to do my work as a teacher and in, in these, in the online spaces and that I was able yes. to continue working period and, and continuing to create as an artist and to make impact. So I'm just, I'm so thankful um, in a way that it's, it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but I just, but I acknowledge those blessings and I acknowledge those privileges because it, it, it is it is not automatic yes in general and it certainly is not automatic and present for many during this particular time yes Th- um, a thousand so percent just, I, you know what i mean so i've just i've tried to just really kind of acknowledge and name that and where and how i can be of service to others during this time where there's been a need and my kiddos you know what i mean with right. packages or cards or we really have been, um, I mean, we, we, we do that a fair amount or try to do that just as a family, but intentionally also during this time, like where and how we can give. For sure, has yes. Been another way that, um, that we have been actively uh, being in support of other people, you know what I mean? During Absolutely. This time, which, which is just so crucial and important. Um, so I agree. I think it's all of the, and, and to not be afraid to say that you need help. Right. I, I think that was the thing growing up. It was a testament of strength to say, I did all yep. this on my own. I'm, I'm self-made. Right. With, I, I with, came from, help. right, with, right. I yeah. just feel like, you know what? Uh-uh, time out for all that. <laughs> oh, really? No, no, no. We got to, we got to say that it, and that it's okay. And that it's not a sign of weakness in yes. any way or form to say, I need help. Yes. I need support right now do you know what right. I mean and this is what I need right I, and, I, and so I do think that that has been an evolution and a change too mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm hearing and seeing 
more of us, you know what I mean, um, amongst and between our communities doing that. Yes. For ourselves and or then standing standing in, you know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. Uh, and, and being in the spirit of service and, and uh, giving for others. And this was the quote that I love that I wanted to share. Oh, no. Where did it go? Pulled it up because I want to make sure I said it right. Uh, <laughs> I got you. From, uh, from Audrey Lord about this dynamic of of self care and 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 advocating. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like advocating for ourselves, speaking yes. up. And and I know for me personally, another in this area uh, of discovery for me in this sort of time in this moment in this period has been like you know, I I'm I'm blessed and fortunate to have a pretty expansive capacity do mm-hmm. you know what I mean yes um to do but to but to recognize okay in light of everything that's kind of happening um where is my capacity mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what I mean right and 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 to, and, to, and to be able to sort of kind of name and and acknowledge that and it's like okay well what am I what what yes what can I do right mm-hmm. and what am I willing to do Right. Based on really kind of being mindful and aware of capacity in that way mm-hmm. as, as, a, as, a, as another tool and sort of action towards my own kind of self-care and, and health and wellness. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's yes. centered and grounded and healthy, well, and whole. But here's the quote, um, which is important. Okay. Uh, my husband always says, you know, you can't, what good is the giver if the giver goes down giving the gift? Oh, the gift yeah, gift yeah. ain't making its way over there. So <laughs> the, 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 the gift ain't gonna make it. it, ain't, it ain't gonna go uh, if, if, if the giver goes down, so I so I love I love I love that and think about that often. And it's true. It's really yes, true. absolutely. We have, to, we have to take care of ourselves. So Audrey Lloyd, uh, this is one of my favorite quotes from her about self care and speaking up and advocating for oneself. Yes, and it goes as follows: caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Wow. I love it. I love it. And there... That's that idea that taking care of oneself is indulgent can generate this sense of guilt and right. and maybe even just a, a little shame that you know if i reach out for help in this kind of way you know it, it I'm, I'm 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 it's just it can be embarrassing so um i, I love that I, I love i love the the meaning of that and how much it holds so much yeah. weight because it doesn't have to be any of those things do you know what i mean yeah that i think you're right how we've been conditioned, many of us, and how we've grown up. Yes. Have maybe been with those messages, or if not, you know, actually verbally spoken, just sort of the, the perception or the thought or the ideas, you know, kind of lurking in the background that that's just what you should do. But I just, I think that, or what that all means, but it doesn't mean any of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh just my gosh. Just- Anita, the, the author of that quote, one more time. Uh, Audra Lord. Okay. 
Okay, listeners, I hope you heard that because that's that's going to go up on our page. I, I love that. Love what it what it stands for. And it makes so much sense. It's so prevalent to what's happening right now. So, um, yes. And, and yeah. I think the other thing is that we cannot I think I think the thing that we cannot um, really take into account um there's there's a lot going on mm-hmm. I, I think there, there's a lot going on in the world there's a lot going on that that has again in light of all of this sort of unrest and um and loss and grief you know what i mean with the, with the lives lost in the pandemic and so much and, you know so much so much as well as like the the loss and the grieving in the context of the, the racial uh, and social unrest and injustice and, and, and hearkening back to something that we talked about earlier about seeing that. Do you know what I mean? The replay and the, the visibility of all of that mm-hmm. unfolding right over our eyes can actually create trauma. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So, so, so we have to, we, we have to then recognize and acknowledge that reality you know what i mean right and 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 then and then kind of take steps towards um care and health and wellness to to allow for all of that you know what i mean as well as just the fact that everybody multitasking how uh, you know the 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 distance or the line that used to exist between Mm -hmm. our for many of us our professional lives and our personal lives. Well, friends, that's gone right out the window. <laughs> yes. Those two things are happening simultaneously for many of us. Yes. Right. Yes. Difficult I mean? to separate so, the two. Difficult to separate the two. So that kind of like work life balance and all that kind of stuff. We we're many of us are being challenged in that way. Yes. Of, of how do you, uh, how do we navigate all that in a way that again, can be healthy and not ridden with stress and anxiety and because it, it's stressful. Yes. <laughs> well, yes, it is. So, so, so we have to take actions and steps, whatever that is for each of us, because it's different things mm-hmm. to really um, acknowledge that maybe added stress and, and levels of anxiety in this sort of uncertain period and the way that we're having to navigate all of those things at the same time along with these other elements and dynamics perhaps of of trauma and or of grief and loss that that many people are just shouldering um and having to navigate right now so i think yeah the 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 one of the greatest gifts we can kind of give to ourselves is is being gentle yes yes Mm-hmm. And, and really trying to um, give ourselves what we need. Yes. I, I love how you say that this time right now, it, it can in a way be traumatizing. And it just reminds you, you have to cut yourself some slack. Um, there is so much going on that many have not been exposed to before, you know, prior to this. And yeah. um, I, 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 my, well, I, I organized a Black Lives Matter demonstration this past summer and I was fortunate just to have 30 people show up. And it was like the purpose of this is just to give really some of the basics that I know of that I can impart on others as to why 
our community is so upset right now. Um, so I wanted to leave you with one final question, Anita. For, you know, a lot of our listeners, not all of our listeners are people of color. A lot of my brothers from the Marine Corps, we view things differently because they have different personal anecdotal experiences than I do. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is the way for anyone, anyone listening or just uh, someone who wants to be part of the change? What do you think is the easiest way for someone who is maybe not in the minority community to be an ally? And what is the most realistic? You know what I mean? I, it, it's like I told people I'm, I'm hosting this demonstration. Like, OK, well, what's what's the goal? What are you trying to do? Like, why are you going out there marching? I'm like, OK, it's just to show that these issues are important. And if any, if one person can walk away with learning some shit, then okay, we've accomplished something. So that's the that's the purpose of it. Um, so what do you think is an easy and a realistic way for someone to be an ally in this this battle of equity that we're going through right now? Because it's so much for some people. So what what are your thoughts on that? Yes, because it's a great question, John. Because I think that you know. Uh, there's so in light of so many things happening, it can all feel a little overwhelming too, you know? Right. It's like, it's like, where do we begin? Where, where, where could we even start, um, to be an ally, um, an advocate for change and, and we need allies. We need allies. Right. Um, right. Yes. And it's, it's a matter of not guilt tripping people into the social justice because that won't. Yeah. And I felt like so many of my white friends this year just I feel guilty. I'm like, well, what you going to do? Like, that's not going to that's not helping the cause. It's not helping the cause. And and we don't have time for it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Very honest. We we don't we don't have time for people's guilt. We don't have time for people's fragility. We don't have time for it. Right. Um, And it's not it's not productive. And it's not conducive towards actually doing something yes. that's going to make a change or a difference. So I think that um, one of the things is the kind of shifting of the lens in the way we think about ally and allyship, right? Okay. So it's not a noun, it's a verb. Mm-hmm. So which, which there, you know- Number one. Yeah. Active, right? Yes. So I think one of the- uh, really important ways that an ally can activate and take action is owning their own learning. The power of knowledge, the power of education. So yes. there are all sorts of different online tools and resources and um, that are vetted and credible, you know, credible. And, and, and that, that's so important in this age of fake news and yes. misinformation that that credibility, you know, that, that are, that, you know, in light of just the, the online space, a lot of these things have, have are accessible for free. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. And, and, or there, there are workshops, there are trainings, there's different things that are going on uh, by just some wonderful organizations and individuals um, and, and, or with nominal costs or, or low cost or fee, but many yes. low costs associated with it during the time of this pandemic. And so to really take advantage of those resources educate yourself. You know what I mean? And if you're not quite certain where to look, uh, then you can reach out. You know what I mean? I, and yes. I'm happy to, I know, John, you probably have cultivated some of those resources and tools, but I'm, I'm happy to share some as well. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, with, with, with you that could be posted. And 
um, and again, accessible and available, because I think that that's the key thing that all of us can do. Mm-hmm. So in in yes. that journey of, 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 of allyship and activating that is owning our own learning. Another mm-hmm. thing is, is really, um, you know, being mindful about our uh, positional authority or spheres of influence. Mm. So what I mean by that, I have to see. Bless you. Thank you. That was a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Need that. Need that. (laughs) We need that for these, these, these final thoughts. So I got to do (laughs) it. It have been complete without it. It wouldn't come out. And so, um, about, um, our positional authority and spheres of influence, yes. in terms of mm-hmm. like, you know, when you think about in the spaces that you, that you work in, right. Whether it's work or whether in your community, um, what do you have the power to influence? Right. So if, if that's, if that's the creation of some kind of program, if that's, if that's bringing in uh, a guest speaker, Yes. Or, you know what I mean? If if that is um, thinking about like if you're putting together a committee, for example, right, mm-hmm. or an advisory board, really being thoughtful, intentional about who are you inviting to the table? Who are you inviting to the table? Yes. And just and just expanding that range, making sure that you have diverse voices, yes. identities, and perspectives at the table. Yes. That are a part of the decision making processes. Right. So I think there can be small, small actions, which can take a huge impact in that kind of way. That's what I mean when I say, think about your spheres of influence mm-hmm. and what it is that you can do in this kind of capacity to make it more inclusive, to open it up and make it more diverse and to make it more equitable. Looking at systems, policies, practices, and protocols, again, could be one-minded. That could be a wonderful tool Use those tools from that equity mindedness. You know what I mean? That's yes. open and available to the community and, and, and how you can apply those things to your organization, to your community group, to your, um, your program or initiative you're, run, you're running. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, and, and, and to do it together. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, if, if you manage or supervise a team of people, prioritize diversity. Yes. You know prioritize the, the, the equity-minded work or just or, or other kind of cultural competencies. Learning about implicit bias and unconscious bias, that's mm-hmm. huge. Yes. That's huge, just right there. Us learning about it, we all have it. All of us have it. Yep. The question is just how our minds are hardwired and how we cognitively, our, our minds work to help us associate things. Right. Right? Mm-hmm groupings and different categories but the question is so we can if we acknowledge that we all have our own bias then what can we do to use it towards good right you know what i mean and it, with a value add point of view and perspective as opposed to a deficit framework or a problemization right, right. that we're not reinforcing stereotypes we're not reinforcing negative perceptions and ideas about who someone is because they're associated with a certain kind of group that has a certain qualities or characteristics associated with it that may or may not be negative. You know what I mean? Right. The more that we can sort of really kind of check our own bias and really kind of ask ourselves in the moment when we are making a decision, what's informing that decision? Mm-hmm. 
what's informing my our you know my perception of who I'm talking to or right. what I'm reading, what I'm looking at. Even us actively doing that is will make a huge difference. Right. Um, in choices and decisions that are being made um, moving forward, and what kind of impact that can have. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would say is. You know how you can um, how you can you can participate in sort of uh, advocacy at your local state um, you know levels of kind of government too. Right, right at that at that local level. Right. At that local level, so, mm-hmm. you know, so so really being mindful about like we just had the election and all those different things. But yes, the different propositions that went through and what they all entail, you know what I mean? And, and, oh, and yes. now even post-election, what is it that we can do as citizens and as civically minded individuals Yes. to help hold the people that have been voted in place in power accountable, mm-hmm. right? For doing what they said they were going to do yes. and or doing what needs to be done. That is another way that we really can leverage the power of our voice in that capacity so whether that's a letter writing campaign mm-hmm. whether that's a phone call campaign do you know what i mean right we we have to or mobilization of of, of voting rights education right whatever that might be mm-hmm. however we can participate in um in our civic uh capacity and uh, the democratic processes to really uphold it is another thing and very specific action items that we can take um, moving forward. Love it. Love it, Anita. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. It's... And, also, and, you know, and sometimes even just sort of, and, and organizations that you can support in different ways right? That, that are doing the work of certain causes or issues or topics that you um, believe in that you, that you want to learn more about. I mean, that's another way you can just, there's so many ways you can get involved. You yes. know what I mean? Where you don't have to, you don't have to leave the march. Right, right. You don't even have to necessarily go in the street and march at all. If that's right. not, you know what I mean? There, there's so many different ways of what not only allyship, I think, um, and advocacy, but also what activism looks like. Yes. That, that we can really um, take part of, particularly also in digital activism and right. advocacy in the in mediated spaces that are that are happening right now. So, mm-hmm. yes, I, it's it's like people may have this perception of what activism looks like, and it doesn't have to be out there on the streets with a megaphone. It can be your own form of that, and it really can be. Yeah, yeah, and again, like you said, there's so many resources available out there. So, I feel like it takes more effort. It, it takes a certain level of consciousness to be really racially conscious and make those efforts to change. Um, and I, and I do think it be it, and I fervently believe it actually begins with the individual. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the more that we own our own learning and educate ourselves and really just, it goes back to something I said, I think at the very beginning, our willingness to model that and sure. practice it in our own interactions, in our own choices, in our own actions that we make, mm-hmm. that, that goes a long way. Yes to then how that really sort of helps to change the climate and the culture of the community. Yes. Communities that we're a part of. I love it. I love it. Wow. Well, 
listeners, you heard it here. The cast of color, Anita Dashiell Sparks. It has been an absolute pleasure. I am not going to keep you any longer. Um, but before we go out, are there any closing thoughts or any projects or anything that you want to just leave the listeners with? Any final thoughts? Um, hopefully we're going to have you again. I would love to. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this has been so, so been, in, not just informative, been... but so much fun. I, I'm oh so. Oh my gosh. This has been great. I, <laughs> I, I, I would love to come back anytime you'd have me, John. And, and, uh, it's yes. just to be a part of this wonderful community. And, um, I think the other thought that was just sort of on my mind and kind of heart that I'll share that, um, you know, a former student of mine, you know, I, I, I I learn from my students all the time. Yes. And what a joy that is. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm oh. learning much from them, hopefully, as they're learning from me. And, um, and one of my former students, she had sent me, um, one, she loves poetry. She's a fierce poet herself. Oh. She loves poets. Uh, and uh, as mirrors her name. And she, um, and we both love bell hooks. Okay. And so we were talking and she had sent me this uh, one of her recent pieces that really talks about this idea of radical love. Mm. And I don't know, that's something that I feel like that's a concept and dynamic that I, I have been hearing reverberating okay. uh, over these last these last couple of months that I just also wanted to impart as another thing that we can actually do you know, when we're talking about how we can sort of lead with a sense of empathy mm-hmm. and compassion, you know, for yeah. someone else and, and how that connects to this notion and idea of like radical love. Yes. In that way. Um, it's what Dr. King believed in. Yes. Too, you know what I mean? That's, mm-hmm. and, and also I've heard it languaged recently uh, in this kind of like radical kindness Yes. Okay. And I just, so that was the other thing that was just kind of on my heart and mind as we were in our closing kind of thoughts about Mm -hmm. just the power of radical love and leading with radical love and radical kindness. Yes. I love it. It's the the term radical. Anytime you hear that, you expect uh, the the follow-up turn to be something more, I don't know, volatile, tumultuous in a way, I don't know, um, but radical love kind of gives the idea of this very passionate, very extreme form of love that takes to educate people about these issues. And that radical kindness will incentivize people to listen more rather than feel guilty or being thrown information or being screamed at. And uh, I, I love that. I love that. And I, I can I can totally see how uh, an idea like that can be tossed around at this time because yeah, it's it, social media, you know, so many people have a voice. I think more yeah. radical love needs to be discussed. And that empathy, it, it goes so long, it goes such a long way. It, it goes such a long way. And I do believe that just sort of the climate of the world, mm-hmm. um, we just, we need it. We always yes. need it, but I feel like we really need it now more than ever. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. As we are where we are moving forward into soon 2021. <laughs> 2021, we look forward to it. Gosh, came into this year with just optimism and a new decade, 2020 vision. And to be here yep. now, it, it's my gosh, what, what a change it has been in just one year. And 
I mean, a truly a, a life changing year, I'd say for everyone, for every oh, person out here in the world. No doubt. No yes. doubt. Yep. Whether you were directly, indirectly affected, um, there's no question about that. Yes. Thousand percent. So um, for you, again, for you to take the time, Anita, to just give your personal experiences, your story and the wealth of expertise and knowledge that you have onto our show. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. And yes, yes. Listeners, this is Anita Dashiell Sparks. You can go on. uh, You can go online and find out exactly the work she's done. You know, I wonderful biography on uh, the USC website, dramatic arts about you and everything. So again, it was a pleasure, Anita. Oh, this was a, a joy, a joy for me as well, John. Thank you so much. Everybody uh, stay healthy and well and just have wonderful, wonderful uh, holidays. Um, yes. Hold each other close during this time. We need that. We need that. So uh, listeners, that is Anita Dashiell Sparks. Thank you very much. And we're signing off here. Peace. <laughs>